the things that uh, the Hebrew calendar gives us, the biblical calendar, is it, it uses these Hebrew uh, letters, numbers, pictographs, and with those, you can... You can discover so much that's uh, just woven into, because these, you understand when God created, Mm -hmm. he spoke words. And in order to speak words, he had to create a language. And so we have this language that it's not just a language, it was, it has the power of creation wrapped within it. So it's more than just a language. And so... You know, during Rosh Hashanah each year, one of the things I do is to go back and I look forward and prophetically at the year ahead and the numbers specifically. And this year is, uh, I was going to do it for Passover because, you know, it's beginning of the second part of the new year. But uh, you might go back at Rosh Hashanah and just look and see just how uh, how your life aligns with what God is doing this year. Because this year, without a doubt, if I could pick one word to des- to describe what God is going to do this year and has done, it's change. Yeah, very it's much so. massive change. It's the number two in Scripture, mm. in Hebrew. And uh, it's fascinating. Now, but we're not going to talk about the number two right now. We're going to talk <laughs> about the number ten. Now, it's interesting as the events and the timing, we know from Daniel 9 that the year had arrived 2,000 years ago for the Messiah to be cut off. You read Daniel 9 from hundreds of years before, and he's going down, he's doing the numbers, he's counting down. And if you count them all down, you run into, well, 2,000, let's see, well, I can't even do the math. I'd have to do it backwards. I'd do a bad job of it. But it would be when Jesus died. Leviticus 23 told them, actually, the sequence of the week ahead and for each day. So it was all coming. It was already predicted. It was already prophesied. So when Sunday arrived, it was Nisan 10. Today is the 14th. Four days before Passover... The choosing of a lamb is what happens. On the 10th day, four days before Passover, every family obtained a lamb so they could inspect it to make sure that it was without spot or blemish. That allowed each family to become attached to their lamb, to treat it almost like a pet. They literally brought it into the home with them and raised it like one of their own. Every man shall take for himself a lamb. All right, say these words, a lamb. A lamb. Thank you. Then in Exodus 12, 5, God says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. It's now your lamb. Hmm. Those words? Your lamb. Thank you. He was presented himself as both the lamb to be slain for their sins and their holy righteous king to one day be enthroned. Hmm. He's not what they expected. But then in Exodus 12, 6, God refers to the lamb of God as if he was only one Now listen to this verse. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall slaughter him at twilight. Mm. It went from a lamb to your lamb to him. Him. Wow. That's... That's something you wouldn't even notice if you're just reading along. Yeah. It'd blow right by you. The word him in Hebrew is three letters, Aleph, Tav, Vav, Mm. which specifically identifies the him as the first and the last. Yes. So not just any ordinary him, Mm -hmm. certainly not just the lamb, but the lamb who is considered the first and the last. And there's life in there, too, somewhere in those pictographs. Crazy. man. So during the remainder of the week, the lamb would be inspected for any defects. Well, likewise, Jesus would endure fierce temptations, tests, and threats against his life, improve himself to be pure and holy, worthy, and blameless. But let's arrive at the 10th day. It's Palm Sunday. 
which was this last Sunday. By entering the holy city on the foal of a donkey as a humble king, he fulfilled the messianic prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. The humility with which Jesus enters the city as king explains why the multitudes broke the palm branches and laid them before them. They go, oh, we know this picture. Wait. It was part of how they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall to prophetically welcome the coming king who would save Israel and the nations. They did this all the time. They knew how this worked. But I want you to read and listen to Zechariah 9, 9 one more time because we've translated into English. And so, you know, as always, you're missing something. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and the next word is endowed with salvation. In other words, he has come to deliver you is what that means. And then we have that word humble, which is the ani, is the Hebrew word. It means poor, means humble, but it also means afflicted. Mm. Mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So he's come afflicted. So he's not just a humble king. He's an afflicted king, which suddenly makes him go, what in the world? What's going on here? When he enters Jerusalem through the eastern gate, the multitudes went before him. Those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah. Hosanna in the highest. Clearly, the people believed that Jesus was about to establish the Messianic kingdom. They weren't thinking of him as a sacrificial Passover lamb. They didn't yet fully understand. They didn't quite understand afflicted either. Mm -hmm. Why did they choose those words? The word Hosanna in Hebrew is Hoshina, or literally, save please. Hmm. And it's part of Psalm 118. It's one of six psalms of what they call the Hallel, the Psalm 113 through 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. So 113 through 118, those are the Hallel, or the great Hallel. These were the songs of praise and thanksgiving always used during this Passover feast, and, and other feasts as well, but always during Passover. Interesting part, Jesus would recite and sing Psalm 118 as that's the last hymn. In other words, the Passover meal includes those hymns, right? So when it says they sang a hymn and then went out to the garden, the last words on his mouth are Psalm 118. Jesus is singing over them Psalm 118 during the Last Supper. And he would hear it echoing over and over while he hung on the cross as they sang it. It was chanted by the priests as they slaughtered hundreds of thousands of lambs. It was the song of the day. It was, on, it was on repeat. This is the gate of Jehovah through which the righteous shall enter. The stone which the builders rejected mm -hmm. has become the chief cornerstone. Yeah. This was Jehovah's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Oh, give thanks to Jehovah, for he's good, for his mercy endures forever. Those are the last words on his lips and the last words in his ears. The tenth day is the first of our four inspection days. Passover is four days away. During the remainder of the week, the lamb would be inspected for any defects. Likewise, Jesus would endure the temptations, the tests, the threats, the prove himself. You're pure, you're holy, you're worthless, you're blameless. And yes, he was. By entering the city on the foal of a donkey as a humble king, he fulfilled that prophecy. They broke the, the palm branch of their laid out for him. For four days, he's living among the people before his crucifixion, and they're inspecting him. He's come into their town. He's come into their gates. He's in their home like that little lamb. Mm. He's thoroughly examined and proved himself perfect and without defect. 
And here's what it says about him. The whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. The Pharisees and Herodians were amazed at him. Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Peter declares of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. These aren't just random comments. This is part of that inspection. And you have the next phrase, and Jesus wept. You know, Jesus prayed over Jerusalem. He saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you in you one stone upon another Mm. because you did not know the time of your visitation. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus weeps only twice. Yeah. Once over Jerusalem and once over Lazarus. Yeah. Both occasions, oddly enough, on the Mount of Olives occurred relatively close time-wise and location-wise. But these two cheerful scenes only make sense when you look at them together. Why did Jesus intentionally allow Lazarus to go through the suffering torment of death and then weep over him if he was just going to raise him back to life? (laughs) Uh, Perhaps the suffering of Lazarus was a perfect shadow of the suffering coming upon Israel. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the tears of Jesus were more significant than tears for the death of a friend. He was weeping for all of us. Yeah. Dead in sin with only one remedy. And in the case then, that people would turn to him. They refused. They were about to kill him. So it was definitely a time for tears that all that he could do couldn't save him. Mm. So coming up, we're actually going to bring it down. Now, you know the Passover meal? There is such a thing as Passover meal. For the next three breaks, we're going to break it all down in the uh, 9 o'clock hour. All the foods, what do they mean? And I think most people who've ever attended a Passover Seder, I did when I was 10 years old, or I'm sorry, I guess early teens, and it's what did it for me. I saw Jesus in a whole new light. I said, oh, I get it now. Hmm. That's why I love Passover. For that first Passover Seder.